As we continue to worship God this morning, one of the ways that we express our love for God and worship God is through the spiritual discipline of generosity. For those of you who are supporting this ministry financially, we of course are grateful for your faithfulness in that way. Everything that we do here happens in part because of your financial generosity. If you've already given this week, thank you for your faithful giving to this ministry. If you have yet to give, you can do so online through our website, meethope.org give. Or if you are here in the room this morning, you can give in the baskets that are located back on the tech booth or in the kiosks throughout the lobby. And we continue to be grateful for the ways that you support this ministry in that way. If you're watching us online and you have never given to Hope, this would be a great opportunity for you to express your support of this ministry by giving online as well. And thank you for that. You know, among the things that you are supporting here at Hope Church are the ministries that go across all age groups. And we're excited about the theme that we'll have in the ministry across the board this fall that we're calling homecoming. Fall is always a time when colleges and schools around the country are celebrating homecomings. And so we're going to use that theme in every aspect of our ministry. So you'll be getting more information about that, but we'll be kicking off our homecoming theme September 19th. You know, throughout this pandemic, our commitment has been to keep people safe, healthy, and together as best we can. We are committed to that still, and so in response to what's been going on currently in our children's wing, the children are still gathering here because they need to be together on Sunday mornings, but all of the children are masked, as are now all of the adults. Vaccinated or not, all adults are asked to wear masks back in our children's wings on Sunday morning. Also, here in the worship space, we are reinstituting our mask preferred and our mask optional sections within the worship and you can sit in whichever section uh, suits you best and you're most comfortable with. So as we continue to worship now, let's go to Pastor Rick as he shares with us another story of David. And thank you, Pastor Jeff. So good to see everyone who here in this space. Good to see you all online while well, you're seeing me, but good to be here with you. Uh, so happy that we could worship today. But I did, before I begin the message, wanted to just share with you about uh, Haiti. As you know, we've done multiple mission trips to Haiti, uh, into Jacmel, uh, which is a southern coastal town in Haiti. And it was because of the earthquake that was, I guess, a little over 10 years ago. Um, about 10 years ago, where we first met Fennel Bruna, who runs the House of Abraham Orphanage. And we, I heard from Fennel yesterday via email that they are well, that they are safe, that they had minimal uh, physical damage to their buildings. Uh, but of course, uh, Haiti is in great need, not only because of an earthquake. It's what I said uh, 10 years ago when we went on our first trip. I said, disaster uh, has been part of Haiti, and they also had an earthquake. Uh, so it's kind of the same thing still. They're just struggling in every area. So if you could keep praying for them. 
Uh, we also wanted to let you know that we'll be taking a special offering for the House of Abraham and for Fennel uh, that they can use as is needed. One of the things that uh, Fennel shared in his email was that uh, while Jock Mel, where they're located, saw some damage, uh, the area about 100 miles uh, west saw the uh, most damage from the earthquake, and they plan on sending some teams over there to work with those folks and to support them as they can. So if you'd like to give, you can give to meethope.org slash give. We don't have a Haiti page set up for that, but when you go to meethope.org slash give, if you go to Pastors Fund, any uh, funds received between now and, and ongoing for, uh, for this next period will go towards uh, HOA and to Fennel so that it can be used in that way. And please, let's also continue to be praying for them. And so again, thanks. I'm glad I could be here uh, to lead you in this time where we look at the life of David and look at different stories from his life. And uh, before we get into the story, though, I want to take a little personal privilege that uh, 31 years ago this week, uh, my wife and I were married. Yeah, 31 years. We were babies, just little tiny children. And I had to go down into my basement and I went through the books and I found a picture. I took a picture of it and I want to put it on the screen. Kelly saw it on our iPhone, shared photos, and she said, why are you showing that picture? Uh, because, well, I just thought it was fun to do that. And there is all of the friends that we thought were going to be lifelong friends 31 years ago. Uh, there are lifetime friends. There are high school and college friends, right? Because when you get married as babies, that's who you think is you're going to be lifelong friends with forever. But now 31 years later, what we found in that picture is that uh, there's a few that we see that I see occasionally every year uh, maybe less than that, and it's nice to see them. There is one person there that I have not seen since 1990, and I realized that as I was looking at that picture, that for 30 years we have not connected since that time. And another, because of a marriage breakup, uh, I will surely never see again. Friendships are funny things, aren't they? Uh, they are just funny. How do you know when a friendship is going to be a lifelong friendship? How do you know when this relationship that you have is one that you will say, I'm going to have for the rest of my life? See, there isn't a formula. There isn't a code. Uh, if there was, we would certainly be sharing that with you because this is the way that you can do that. But there isn't. The average person, I read, will make 29 real friends over a lifetime. Now, I thought that seemed like a lot, 29 real friends. That seems like a lot, but then the article went on to say this, that we will lose at least five of those folks due to arguments. Uh, something will happen in that relationship. So 29 minus 5 brings us down to 24 friends, and I did the math ahead of time because you know me and math. Uh, and then the article then says that we'll lose touch with at least eight more of those friends because of different lifestyles or because of moving, because of uh, different reasons. So now we go from 24 minus 8 to 16 friends. But then it says that we typically will lose five more because of a significant event. Sometimes it involves money. Sometimes it involves a relational breakup. Other times it involves deceit, which were the three Reasons And so from 16 minus those five brings us down. On average, we'll have 11 meaningful, close, lifelong friendships. 11 in your whole life. Wow. 
Now, just to clarify, when I'm talking about these kinds of friendships, I'm not talking about the guys you get together with for drinks or golf every once in a while, and, and it's, or those you get together with for reunions. I don't mean tallying up how many likes you have on social media or how many people are following you or how many friends you have on Facebook. I'm talking about real, lifelong friendships, real connections, like those deep, meaningful relationships that are filled with gratitude for the other person, and you're willing to serve each other, and you're willing to communicate with each other when there's trouble. We're talking about those kinds of relationships, and the averages in our lifetime, we'll see about 11 of those. Too many times I've met with people and their lives have blown up. And I've said to them, who do you have? Like, who can you talk to about this? And sadly, many will say, I have no one. I just don't have anyone. Lifelong friendships, these relationships, these deep relationships are so, so important for us. So there was a study done back in the 90s, probably about the same time that wedding photo was taken, 30 years ago. And it was talking about human relationships. The study was determining how many friends we will have. And similar to what this article shared about that we start with 29, we end up with, with 11. The idea here was is that how much, can, how much does our brain influence our friendships? And it was determined that people can have about 150 meaningful friendships. And then there was different levels of that, that there were those who were intimate, those who were closer to, those who were really deep meaning uh, relationships. But the maximum anybody could have is about 150, 150 relationships. And the conclusion was that our brains are limited, that we have a limited capacity for relationships. And for some of us, we'd say 150, that'd be pretty good because my brain can't handle that many, right? I don't have that many names in my head. Now, since that study in the 90s, which again was three decades ago, there's been two other studies done as well, one with our cell phone records and the other one with our Facebook feeds. And both studies have determined that that hasn't changed for humanity, that we still basically function in the same way. We can handle about 150 people in our lives, that we'll know some details about 150 people, then we have a, a smaller group that will we'll have some more meaningful relationships, and then the most intimate group. Friendships are hard. It's hard. And while we may have hundreds or even thousands of Facebook friends and followers, and tags, our brains max out about 150 because friendships are hard. It takes a lot of work to develop and maintain and keep these friendships, especially those that are real and meaningful and that will cross through a lifetime. It's rare and special. So looking at the stories uh, of David in the gospel according to David, as we're calling it, there's this story of David and his friend 
Jonathan. And this week, uh, we certainly don't have enough time to share the whole story. It goes over three chapters. It's in 1 Samuel uh, uh, chapters 18, 19, and 20. I want to encourage you to read it. I'm going to give you a quick summation, and I hope that after the summation, you'll say, yeah, that's something I want to read, uh, and so you can read it during the week. Is This is the stories. Uh, these stories happen right after, or near after, uh, uh, the writer puts it, right after Goliath and the story that we talked about last week of David and Goliath. And it turns out that Saul, who is the king, is very jealous of David. He's de- jealous of David's fame. He's jealous of, of, uh, of, of David's success. He's jealous of, of David overall. He's just jealous of David. He's so jealous that Saul tries to kill David at least twice. Uh, there are stories of, uh, that Saul takes a spear and throws it and tries to kill David two times. Now, Saul's either a really bad spear thrower or David's really quick. But either way, David is able to uh, get away from these two incidences where the king tries to kill him. It gets so bad that Saul says, I can't even look at this guy. And he banishes him from his presence. That's how Saul feels about David. Now, if you remember what I talked about last week with David and Goliath is that the victor of The Goliath fight, Saul had promised marriage to his daughter. So get these family dynamics now that are about to take place. Is David is going to marry one of Saul's daughters, and Saul wants to throw a spear at David. I think he understood uh, that's a father-in-law you don't want to have, right? (laughs) And it gets worse. There's another daughter of Saul's that falls in love with David. So now we got a little triangle going here. And Jonathan, Saul's son, is a best friend to David. And Jonathan demonstrates his loyalty throughout these stories by choosing David over his father, who has a plot now to kill David. It's in 1 Samuel chapters 18, 19, and 20. It's as if Game of Thrones meets Big Brother meets The Bachelor. All mixed up together. I'm telling you, you got to read it. I'm reading it in prep, and I'm going, this is great stuff, man. You could make movies about this. It is an understatement to say that David and Jonathan had difficulties that they had to overcome to maintain a close and meaningful friendship, yet they were able to do that. Throughout their story in these three chapters, you see demonstrations of loyalty and demonstrations of love and faithfulness shown in their relationship. David to Jonathan and Jonathan to David, all in the midst of the chaos and the turmoil of a king trying to kill your best friend of your sisters both in love with the same man and a father who's desperate to maintain his kingship. Friendships are challenging. I don't think any of us are in that position today. I don't think anybody's had a spear thrown at them earlier today or yesterday or over the weekend. But friendships are challenging because our culture can be fairly isolated and individualistic, especially as we move through what we've been going through over these last 18 months now. 
See, we want to view community as an option, not a need. We take pride in independence. We love feeling self-sufficient, right? The feeling of accomplishing something on our own without having to rely on anyone else. Many of us get those Ikea furniture boxes and we look at those instructions and we say, I don't need this. I can do it myself. We want relationships, but we want it without the mess. We want relationships because we're wired for these meaningful friendships. So even the most introverted person needs another someone on their side. And even the strongest, most self-reliant person needs a someone with them through life. But yet, because of the brokenness we experience, because of sin, we tend to push towards isolation. So as we've been coming out of COVID or as we continue to move through COVID, I don't know which way I want to describe that best, and as we've been working here at Hope towards being one church with two expressions and that we have our physical attendance here, it's great to see you all, and we have those who are online and we'll, we'll continue to develop these two expressions. I've been doing a casual survey whenever I meet with someone because, see, there's a question that's being asked of churches all over the world now. They're asking, how do we navigate through digital, physical, and hybrid? It's a brand new world. There's no books written about it. There's no, uh, there's no language even put around it. We have to create the language. And, and, you know, if you mentioned hybrid church five years ago, people wouldn't have known what you were talking about. But yet now, if you Google hybrid church, you'll find article after article after article about what church is going to look like moving forward. What does it mean? And there's questions that we have to answer of what that is. How do we as a community work together as we're digital, physical, and hybrid? And so one of the questions is, how will people find community in a post-COVID world? So I've been doing this odd thing. I've been asking people, how do you find community in this post-COVID world? How will friendships, how will relationships be encouraged and strengthened if you're digital, physical, or hybrid? So I've been asking people those questions, and here are some of the responses I've gotten. Uh, some people here at Hope, when I say, so how, how's that working for you? Their response is, groups. I love small groups. I love my small group. I love being part of a small group. And I'll say, well, is your small group digital or physical or hybrid? And they say, it's all those things. And I love groups. I love being around this small group. They're my people. They're my, they're my tribe. They're the ones that, that get me through every experience. And I'm like, that's great. And that feels good because, you know, we started a few years ago saying that we wanted to be a church that was a church of small groups, not a church with small groups. And so it's good to hear to hear you all say that groups are so important that groups are how you get through this but there are others when i asked said yeah you know the group thing it's definitely not me one person said uh you know i've been going to church my whole life and groups have never really worked for me it's just not my thing 
I asked someone else and they said, gatherings, I need to be worshiping with others in the worship space. That for me, that's where I get energy. That's where I get, uh, uh, I get reconnected with people. And, and it's not only uh, the time of worshiping together corporately, but it's also the time afterward where we get to connect with each other and reconnect. And I'm like, that's awesome. It's great being back in this space. I remember the first time we were back in this space with people in the room, uh, those of us who were on staff who have been here throughout this in the empty space, it was so hard emotionally not to break down to be worshiping together. But then there are others who said, you know, large crowds have never really been my thing. And I went to the building to worship because that's what you were supposed to do. But one person said, I love digital. I love online. I mean, and they said this, we have Netflix and Hulu. Why not church? <laughs> I hear you. One person said, for me, it's one-on-one. -on -one. Put me in a coffee shop with a close friend, and man, I get energy, and we get connected, and man, we just grow in our relationship with each other and our faith. Others said, no way, don't give me that one-on-one -on -one thing. That's too, too close. Another person said, I get it through work. Another person said, my neighborhood, my neighbors. Another person said, it's my sister, my family. Another one said, we love being with other couples over drinks and over dinner. And one person said, it's all about being close to my spouse. As long as we are connected, then all the other relationships are a bonus. So here's part of my conclusion on all of that, all these conversations, these casual surveys, is that there is no one way. There is no one way. The Old Testament book of Proverbs offers this thought on friendships. Friends come and friends go. Now, uh, friends come and friends go is a real generous and polite translation of that from the New Living Translation. There's an ambiguity of the Hebrew that allows for a few other translations of that first line. Friends come and friends go. Another way that that could be said is there is one who has shouting friends. Anybody here like that? Anybody you have shouting friends? Another way to translate that would be one with many friends soon comes to ruin. Another way that the Hebrew could be translated there is there are companions who pretend to be friends. But the second line is clear. So friends come and friends go. But a true friend sticks by you like family. The second line is clear. One should value faithful companions because they are like family and like family, they last a lifetime. And there is no one way. But there is a way for you. There is a way to create and sustain deep, meaningful, lifelong relationships. A way to bring value to your life and value to others. And maybe because of our brains, the answer isn't more friends Maybe the answer is fewer friends. Maybe it means doing our level best to focus on being the best 
for a few friends. Maybe it means to double down on deep and meaningful relationships. It seems Jesus may have lived out his relationships that way. He had 12 people who he called disciples who he spent the majority of his time with. And there were surely others who also followed him. And of the 12, we know that he spent time away with only three of them. You see, it wasn't only how he taught about life, it was how he lived life. It was how he lived his entire life right up to the end. In Matthew chapter 26, it says this. Jesus is uh, about to be arrested, and he's struggling with what is about to come. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be uh, tried in a, in a mock trial. He's going to die on a cross. And he knows this is what his life has led to, and this is the moment. And he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He's, he says, guys, I'm dying here. I'm dying here. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He's God and humanity wrapped in flesh. The only perfect human being. He says, man, I'm dying here. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And then he says, stay here. Stay here and keep watch with me. He says, this is not a time for me to be alone, guys. I need someone in my life. I need someone who's going to hold me up, someone who's going to stand nearby, someone who's going to work with me. I can't do this alone. Man, there are Lots of people in our lives. In your brain, you have 150 of them. And on your Facebook feed, you have a whole lot more. But that collection of relationships, that vast collection, doesn't contribute much to the depth of your soul. See, we make a decision if we're going to run wide or we're going to run deep with our relationships. Being networked is, and being connected is great, right? I know a guy. You know a guy who can fix your AC? I know a guy, right? Do you know a guy? We all know guys, right? We all, I, know, I know someone who can do that. We know being connected is a good thing for many parts of life. I would suggest, though, that having fewer friends is risky behavior, right? Because deeper friendships mean they know more about you. It demands honesty. And that's terrifying. See, the more you let people in, the more you trust, the more they'll see your flaws. And they see who you are. That's the truth of knowing someone intimately, right? But I would suggest it's worth wading through the muck of all of our brokenness, my brokenness, your brokenness, to find the friend who will stick to you like family. Because we deserve these deep, meaningful connections. We're designed for relationships where we're not just a name, not just a number. We're people, not profiles. So there's this uh, new place in my town where uh, uh, we've been living our uh, whole time. We've been here 16 years that we've been here at Hope. And we've been living in the same town and our same home. And recently, right before COVID started, this new place opened up in town. And it's a little town that we live in called Akko. And 
we wanted to go to this new place to eat, and then COVID happened, and we were like, oh, I want to support local. We love that Main, you know, they're trying to develop Main Street there in our little town, and we couldn't go. And as soon as they opened their outdoor area, we went, oh, let's go over there. We found we loved it. And so it turns out that when I find a place that I like, I go there all the time, and I drive Kelly crazy because I'll, she'll say, do you want to get Mexican? Do you want to? And I'll say, no, let's go to the, our place. We have a place? Yeah, we have a place now. And here's how it became my place, is we were there about the third time. It was the third time in two weeks, but it was the third time. <laughs> and we were bringing one of our daughters who, who uh, uh, doesn't live with us, and so we said, oh, you got to go. We'll go out to dinner. We went out to dinner. Three of us we sat down, and we sat at the table, and the server came over, and she said, hey, guys, how have you been this week? Like she knew us. I was done. I'm in. I'm in. I'll never eat anywhere else. That's it. Because they know me. They know me. Doesn't that feel good? It feels so good, right? I think that's because that's how we're wired. It's how we're made. It's, we want that. We're wired that way by the love of our lives who wired us with that. So that we would be in these deep, meaningful relationships that would, that would foster growth in our lives. The gospel according to David challenges each of us to ask, how do I find community? There is no one way, but there is a way for you. Don't settle for isolation. Don't, don't settle for, uh, once we're through this, then I'll find that. Find it now. There's no one way. The design and capacity of our brains may not be big enough to have an infinite number of friends, but we are made to invest in the lives of others as they invest in us. So let's choose to give our very best, even in these times, even when uh, our, our default might be to be isolated. Let's move toward deeper friendships so that we can encourage each other, push each other, and move each other towards greater faith in Christ and greater friendships. Let me pray for us now. And so God, I thank you for those who are hearing these words now. God, whether, we be, uh, whether we're sitting in our living room or we're here in this space or we're watching on our phones, God, that wherever we would be, that we would be challenged to move into deeper, more meaningful relationships. That, God, we would be the encouragement for others and, God, that we would be encouraged as well. God, that we would know that there's no formula, there's no uh, set way for this to take place, that there is no one way. But God, that we would lean into the way that works best for us. What is true is that we're wired for relationships. We're wired to be known. And so God, help us to have that type of risky behavior that we would seek to be known by others. All of our flaws, all of our brokenness, all of our uh, uh, faults on display for those who know us and love us best. And God, we will uh, give you uh, honor and praise and glory and we will say that it's because of your work in our lives that we're able to move in this direction and God, help us then to inspire and engage the world around us. And so, Jesus, we thank you for this time that we've worshipped, and we pray these things in your Son's name.
Amen and amen. Have a great day.